from his work on the Travel Channel, you know him best as a host who is both intrepid and curious. And he's a little bit funny, too. And for that, we are enormously grateful. Mark DiCarlo, where are you? I am in Los Angeles right now. Um, I love how Los Angeles tastes. How do we get so lucky to be in Tucson and L.A.? You know what? Any city that has a variety of cultures smashing into each other, it, it's always very tasty. I mean, New, York, New Orleans is always the uh, the best example of that because it's a port city. But L.A. has so many different cultures here. So does Tucson. Uh, you know, it, it's better than um, one time we were up at the Ludafisk Festival in Madison, Wisconsin, and it's... Nordic people and Ludafisk, as far as the eye could see. Listen, I, I know we're trying to do a new project here and, and do an hour together once a week and win people over, but is it okay if I say things like, ew, when you say things yeah. like Ludafisk? <laughs> oh, it's like whale snot. It was horrible. No one would eat it on camera. That was the problem. We were shooting all day and no one would get on camera. Finally, some guy ate some for us and swallowed it. And I said, obviously, everyone hates it. Why are you here? And he looks, the 60-year-old guy looks at me with tears in his eyes. He goes, it tastes just like my grandmother made. So we, yeah. have, we have a jam-packed and fun-filled hour. Uh, and we're going to kick things off with, um, we've got, we, you know, because we have a lot of friends in the business, you and me. Between the two of us, we know a lot of people. And then there are new people who are doing new things that we don't know yet that are going to become part of our, you know, our, uh, part of our food family, right? Because, of culinary warriors. Right. I mean, what happens is as you travel around, there's something, you know, James Beard said it best when he said that food unites us. And so to get united, you know, you break bread together, you clink your glasses together, you have an experience together. And then once are you, you have that... name check James Beard every week just because? No, but I mean... I mean, I would if I were you. <laughs> Good point. How often when you went on the road with Travel Channel, did you go off on a trip thinking you were going to go cover something one way and you ended up with something completely different? Always. I mean, the, the what I find most interesting about culinary tourism, which is, I guess, kind of what we do, is people are passionate about stuff and when you talk to them on the phone they're one way but when you're in their kitchen or you're in their you're with their line cook or you're in their restaurant that their father founded 57 years ago in you know uh, fort lauderdale florida or something you you get thrown curveballs all the time and it's I, I think it's all about what interests me about it anyway is the people behind the food because you know you cook with love and you can taste it. Uh, you can t if you eat a hamburger made with hate and a hamburger made with love. I swear you can taste the difference. I, I know I can. All right, what if I yeah. told you that our first guest was a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and at 24 years of age is the founder and CEO of a business that's going to revolutionize the way we all eat and approach food? I would say we should talk to that person. Well, we will. Patrick Mateer, welcome to A Fork on the Road with Mark DiCarlo, and welcome back. How are you? How are you guys doing? You, now listen, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where you are based, Seal the Seasons is taking a really innovative approach to something that is an ancient kind of tradition. Will you tell everybody about Seal the Seasons? The Seal the Seasons is uh, on a mission to make local food available in every single aisle of the grocery store. You know, we believe that connecting with your local farmers and connecting to that local flavor uh, that you grew up with, you know, those strawberries that you picked uh, as a kid in the field, is one of the best ways to get excited about food and bring a passion for food back into the kitchen. I love that. And, Mark, when you travel around the country on Travel Channel, one of the things you do, and when you and I were talking offline, you were telling me you go to grocery stores, and that's how you get to know a place. Right. You go to grocery stores, you, you find out where the farmer's market is, or you go to the actual farm or you, you talk to the cooks and you say hey where do you get your where do you get these heirloom tomatoes where do you get your cheese where do you get your meat and if it's if it's a good restaurant they'll know the person's name you know no, what, if it's not we try they're just getting it frozen from someplace well and the that's problem exactly what we try to do at seal of seasons um you know we, we go around we talk to people talk to farmers and find some of the best growers in the area so we can preserve their food and bring it to you all year round in the grocery store. And one of the things you're doing, uh, Patrick, is that you're taking really cutting-edge technologies and giving um, uh, 
let, let's be honest. Sometimes the frozen aisle has deservedly gotten a bad rap as more and more processed foods crept in, not fresh foods, and became the place where there was high salinity, you know, high unhealthiness. It was it was a place where a exactly. lot of us were avoiding. And one of the things that you've done is you've undertaken the mission to make the frozen aisle the healthiest second, the second healthiest place in the store after the produce aisle. Exactly. Yeah, we take that fresh produce. We find uh, the farmers that are growing the best quality, the best varieties. A lot of people don't know, you know, there are 10, 20, 30 varieties of blueberries, 10, 20 varieties of strawberries. We find those best varieties that are grown, you know, different varieties that are grown regionally across the country. Work with the farmers to have them frozen within 24 hours and then sell that product in the grocery store, in the frozen section, labeled from the state and the farmer. It's from, uh, you know, 365 days a year. Talk about the model for this, because in a way, when you talk about this, regardless of what the actual product is, it, it kind of is reminding me, as a native New Englander, of that wonderful, like, ocean spray cooperative. Is this a yeah. cooperative? We're not a cooperative. We're, we're a business. Uh, found it out in my dorm room that really just connects the dots. And we work with a lot of cooperatives. Um, a lot of farming cooperatives say, you know, they've tried to market their product. They've tried to work with the grocery store. Uh, Ocean Spray has been one of the most successful. Uh, but plenty of them just, just, that's not, that's not what they do. They're great at growing high quality products, but, you know, negotiating deals with grocers, marketing that, creating packaging. Man, working at packaging companies is tough. Um, you know, we fill all that, fill those gaps for them and we connect those dots to make their lives a little bit easier. Now, Mark, you live in L.A. where it's sunny all the time and where some of the best not only farmer's markets but local farms are. You get to live this way. How important is it for a culture, a food culture, a food-centric culture to have the kind of access to the stuff that you guys have in L.A. all the time? You just have to look around. I mean, we were just in Italy and Spain a month and a half ago. Virtually everyone in Europe is healthy-looking. You can pick an American tourist out of the group, wherever you happen to be, St. Mark's Square, you're at the Coliseum, whatever. And it's the, not the socks the, and sandals? No, it's, it's the <laughs> obesity and the, 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 just the, the gross overweight, and it's, it's, a, it's a direct link to all the processed food that we eat. You know, mm-hmm. When you can buy a bucket of chicken for 15 bucks and, and it's in your car in two seconds, it, it, that's, it, it, it's tempting. And people, I don't think, really take to heart. It's garbage in, garbage out. If you eat well, you will be healthy. If you eat poorly, you won't be. And, you know, the only thing we have a limited uh, amount of is time. So if you want to spend your life uh, fat and cranky, you, you know, you eat the brightly colored food that's in the processed food aisle. Um, Patrick, one of the things, to- Patrick, one of the things Mark and I are, are very passionate about, if you can't tell, is trying to not only find the most delicious and extraordinary and irresistible food moments around the country, but we're going to also try and talk a little bit about how we can all be more mindful and healthy about it as well. That's sort of like the subtext, and we won't always talk about it overtly, but I know Mark's really passionate about that as well, and and it's going to be a pretty important thing because this is where we're all headed. Mark, do you see the signs pointing in this direction? Is Patrick on the right? Do you think he's on the right path? I think he's absolutely on the right path. I think there are certain parts of the country that will be slower to adopt that philosophy than others. You know, in, in Los Angeles especially, in Northern California, people have been more mindful about their food than perhaps Americans in general for a long time. But as people are educated and as more of these types of companies rise up that are able to close that gap between the person growing the food and the person eating the fresh food, People, you know, people feel better. It's it's it, it, it's kind of simple. When you look at food, if it's bright and colorful, it's probably good for you. If you look at the packaging and it's bright and colorful, it's probably not. And what we should say when it comes to socks and sandals, bright and colorful is still a no go. Right. No socks and sandals, socks and and fanny packs. <laughs> um, you know, I get they're convenient, but you you, you know. <laughs> Do you want all your pictures of you in, in Italy to show your socks and sandals in your fanny pack? I don't think that your, people, your friends will make funny when you get back home. Patrick Matier, the CEO of 
Seal the Seasons is revolutionizing the way that farmers are connecting with people who are endeavoring to eat healthier and for getting really bright, fresh, seasonal produce into people's hands on a 365-day-a-year basis. For this, he's been recognized as one of the Forbes 30 under 30 social entrepreneurs. You can check out uh, www.sealtheseasons.com. Uh, but I think the best way to keep up with what we're doing and you know see the farms in action, see that beautiful product, uh, just by following us on Instagram. Uh, and that's at sealtheseasons. Um, I love that you guys bring up mindfulness as well because uh, our food doesn't, isn't just about uh, the flavor and the taste and the connection, uh, it's about, you know, helping the planet. Um, and that's something we're really passionate about at Seal the Seasons. You know, we want the food to be as local as possible and have the lowest carbon footprint. If you're buying frozen food from, um, you know, from another brand, it may be coming from Chile or Turkey or Egypt. And that's just, you know, that's just racking up um, the carbon footprint and putting more carbon in the atmosphere, which, uh, you know, the 25-year-old is, uh, is not great. So will you stay? Well, and the money that you're spending for that food, a larger percentage of it is going to that transit. You know, if you spend a dollar on an apple that's bust in from Chile, the apple's not going to be as good as a dollar that you spend on an apple that was grown 15 minutes away. And it's it's always local food is always fresher. Period, and that's what you want. You know, the fresher food has more of the nutrients and and the deliciousness, the yummy factors, I like to call it, in it. So you know, you get what you pay for, and um, if you're paying for transportation, that's what it'll taste like. Hey, exactly. I got to ask you a question. You're like a big time, award winning Hollywood Travel Channel superstar. I'm super, super famous. When you yeah. travel. And you're going from um, shoot location to shoot location. Do you get to stop at these fabulous little places along the side of the road that might do the best barbecue or the best biscuit or the best pie, and that, oh, that nobody knows that's, about? That's Is that the only way to do it? We yeah. have a we uh, when I travel, we have a rule. If you're in a city more than a day, you can't eat at the same place one more than once. Um, and when you're looking for places to stop, we do the smell test. I'll stick my nose in the door and smell. And if it doesn't smell pungent and strong, we move on. Ooh. Um, when, what kind of smells are you looking for? I mean, should I even ask? Are you one uh, of those? Delicious. It, it needs to smell delicious. Yeah. And it either, it's a binary choice. You stick your nose in there and it either smells like, you know, pine salt or it smells like garlic and onions. Right. I would go with the garlic and onions every right. time. And you know also, here's here's a trick. If you're driving down the road and you see a billboard that's old and ratty, if it doesn't have a uh, area code on it and you call the number and the place is still open, go there because it means they don't have to advertise to to stay open because they're that good. And they've been around that long. Right. The only chain I think is worth <laughs> that is worth patronizing on the roads and byways of America is the Waffle House because, well, if you've ever been in a Waffle House at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know why. Do you remember the old show that was hosted by Tom Snyder? Yes. Right? The Tomorrow Show. Right. And and Dan Aykroyd parodied him so brilliantly <laughs> on Saturday Night Live, right? <laughs> And he was like, always smoking, and he had he had these little you know these little gestures. He had these like little ticks, right? Okay, right? Like he was like the the human being embodiment of what a Waffle House. Like it was so riveting and fascinating in the middle of the night. It was kind of hard to watch, but you couldn't take your eyes off of it. Yeah. Well, my wife was born in Cuba, and she had never been to a Waffle House until I took her to New Orleans for the first time, and we we drove from uh, Baton Rouge which means red stick, into New Orleans. And we stopped at a Waffle House, and she thought it was just a run-of-the-mill, like, Denny's kind of place. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 baby. They have their own songs on the jukebox. It is the greatest people-watching location in the world, especially at, you know, half hour after the bars close in whatever city you happen to be in. If you're near a Waffle House, just go sit in the corner and enjoy the show. Because it's an after-party. It's the de facto after party. It is. And people are just drunk enough where they want to eat something really, really <laughs> greasy. And then that makes them more drunk. And, you know, uh, it's it's fun. It's not entertainment for the whole family. For but a large segment of the family, it's very entertaining. Can I tell you something? When you just said that, when you just told that story, when you said that, I hope 
I wish that someday somebody calls me baby the way you just said, because that was just, that was nice. That was just <laughs> nice. Listen, when you go on the road and you go from town to town and you come ac- and you can still come across billboards, believe it or not, that don't have an area code, it has got to be evocative and reminiscent of the days when public enemy number one would be on the run, going nice from town segue. to town, right? And you can imagine staying one step ahead of the law, hitting a bank, driving into an old dusty town, riding in a hotel in these great old cars, you know, those, those Model A's and Model T's, the 1930s, those, those Tommy Gun days, right? Like those, those really amazing days, those John Dillinger days. Well, Dillinger days are actually happening this weekend in Tucson, Arizona, and they commemorate through a reenactment. Now, now get this. There is an absolutely extraordinary reenactment that people travel literally from all over the world to see. Right what, in are Tucson. they reenacting when he got shot in front of the Biograph Theater in Chicago? No. When he no. got captured in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> he got, I thought he got... I thought, See? I thought he died in Chicago in front of the biograph. Am I, I wrong? I know some people think that. We have John Dill. Listen, we don't need Teresa Caputo, the Long Island medium. We don't need uh, James von Prague to come and talk to the dead. We have such incredible technology here at A Fork on the Road that we are actually talking to John Dillinger, who is going to set the record straight once and for all. I've poured him a neat shot of whiskey, and we call that the spirit's share, to welcome him to the table and to let him know how honored we are to have him talking about this weekend's upcoming Dillinger Days. Mr. Dillinger, welcome and thank you for making time to be with us. Hey, baby, how you doing? Oh, you call me baby. I love that. a good listener. You are a good listener. You know... That's what people had to say. They said you were a pretty charming person. You may have done some rough things, but that was the business you had chosen. Can you remind everybody of just what remarkable place and space you occupy in the culture of this country in the moments leading up to this big event this weekend? Well, you know, there's there's been a few times when... I guess you could say they later become American icons, right? Where people rise up against what's going on and take charge. Maybe for themselves, but they also know how to give a bit back. Billy the Kid maybe did it a little bit. Uh, A lot of people liked him. There's been others along the way. You go back to Robin Hood, whatnot. The thing is, is that, you know, you just like today... In 1934, we saw the banks and the uh, corrupt politicians having plenty while people are having a hard time putting food on the table. We went out to get ours, but we weren't out to get theirs. And that's the difference. A lot of people these days, they're out to get theirs and theirs only. Well, it's not it's how a it different works kind best. of greedy back in the 30s is what you're saying. Yeah, well, I don't know if you'd even call it greedy. It just it wasn't happening, so we made it happen. Wow. Survival, because the, the there was no social net back then. There was no there social security. There was no yeah, welfare. And the economy yeah, had crashed. Survival. And the rich people were fine. But the the rank-and-file Americans were, were scrapping. That's right. And there were many times when... I would walk into a bank. I liked when you were traveling there in your in your little prologue there, and you said hit a bank. <laughs> so when we hit a bank, I would if the people had their money out on the counter, I'd let them pick it up. That's theirs. We just wanted the banks. That stuff wasn't sure. Wow. So I don't know that everybody realizes this because over time, the legend of what was happening certainly was colored, if you will, politicized. History had a way of sort of sanitizing what was going on because we didn't want people romanticizing the idea of what you did and and inspiring young people to say, well, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to take from the rich and give to the poor the same way. And so you might have gotten to be the victim of, uh, let's just call it some some public relations. Of course. But... 
Hollywood had always romanticized it. So what are you going to listen to? The newspapers, they're trying to spin it. You know, or are you going to listen to Hollywood, who's just telling you the story you want to hear about it? Mr. Dillinger, how did you end up in Tucson, Arizona? Well, we had a little... What's that? (laughs) Was it from that Eagle song? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit before that. But we had split up at that point, and we decided on meeting later, and we needed to get out of the cold, really, and just lay low for a bit. So we came to Tucson. Seemed like a nice place. Mackley had a friend who had a friend whose brother's sister knew a guy, something. And we got we got down here to just kind of lay low and stay warm for a little bit. It's January, and Chicago was chilly. So you had plenty of time in Chicago. So that part of the story is accurate that, that Mark was reminding us of. But you also talk about a period in time in a role that Tucson played. A lot of people came to get lost in Tucson, Arizona over the years. Absolutely. What was the plan? Uh, what's that? What was your plan? Did you have one? I mean, it sure well, wasn't to get well, captured. No, not at all. That was a, a freak accident, right? Yeah. Uh, we were just laying low, going to have some fun, maybe ride some horses, buy a cowboy hat, that kind of thing. And we were meeting the guy. But that aside, we got here. It was nice. We were at the Hotel Congress. Uh, we had, uh, well, Pierpont and I, Pierpont was the real leader of the gang, of course. He had taught me a lot uh, in the early days of my short-lived career. And the the hotel has this fire. The boiler room goes, and, uh, you know, the guys are on the third floor. Mackley and Clark are on the third floor, and they get saved uh, by some firefighters. They tip the firefighters to grab some bags in the room that were very important to us, and... Of course, uh, the next day, firefighter noticed Mackley and Clark in the lineup section of a True Detectives magazine. Wow. What unlucky fake, time. Fake news, my hiney, huh? Yeah. Right. And so then... Uh, that was the Instagram of the day, wasn't it? That's right. <laughs> exactly. But boy, that's bum luck. Yeah. Right? Terrible. They could have been reading yeah, we thought- Homes and Gardens. They could have been reading Time Magazine Listen, or Mad they're... Magazine. They end up reading that. What are the Mark, odds? they're firemen. They could have been reading a cookbook. Right. And we had tipped them. All the firemen I know, the they cops, know right? their recipes. They, they, that's uncool if you have to consult a cookbook if you're huh? a fireman. That's true. Your that's friends true. will give you crap. you got to remember that when we drove into town... There's still hitching posts for horses on Congress Street and Broadway downtown. Hitching right. posts, you know. I mean, this is this is a podunk town for us, and we figured the fire then would be a good distraction, and nobody would care if we were uh, gallivanting around a little bit, you know. So, what were the ladies like uh, back in, in your day? I, I understand you were quite the uh, quite the uh, Casanova. Well, I don't know about that. You, you know, you got to have some respect. Uh, but Billy and I were here, and, and she was wonderful. But then, of course, firefighters tell the cops. The cops find out where a couple of the members are staying. Now, I had gotten a house, uh, some rooms done on South 6 where the action was, but... But Mackley and Clark were staying at a house up there by the university on Second Avenue, and which is still there. There's a plaque out there, and uh, cops run there the next day, three days after the fire. Apparently, they jumped on the opportunity, sprang to action. The Tucson Police Department did, and uh, the whole gang is caught in the space of five hours by the Tucson police, hit cops, and. This is what, you know, the police departments of several states and the FBI were trying so hard and unsuccessfully to do up to that point. And then, voila, we're caught, we're jailed, and incidentally, Pima County Jail, the only jail I never escaped from. Wow. Wow. They flew me. And people can see all these back. locations during Dillinger days? 
Well, yeah, you I mean, can. If all you these places still exist. Well, we burn down the hotel every year. <laughs> We've been doing this show for 25 years in Tucson. Longer than a lot You'd of Broadway think by shows. now they'd get hip to it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, they got, I got hip year. to this. It's crazy. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. If Listen, you want a good seat, you got to come early. But, but right, there's... bring marshmallows and chocolate. Yeah, but there's yeah, a big... Sh- John, Mr. Dillinger, will you tell my friend Mark about the shootout? The shootout at the hotel? Yep. Well, we traveled back in time for a little bit to the last bank robbery that was done uh, by John Hamilton and myself uh, in East Chicago right before we came here. We kind of did that one on a whim, and that's kind of like the last of the classic bank robberies right there. And then, of course, uh, so we reenact that and the car chase that happened afterwards is pretty fun in Model A Fords. And tell us what oh, wow. time this all kicks off on Saturday. Are there workshops yeah. for youngsters so that you could teach them how to shoot uh, straight? You know, whatever would be appropriate crimes for kids these days. Because that's your the problem with down. kids today. We'll They're trying to do crimes, but they haven't been instructed correctly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you got a lot of information that could help them be more successful. Yeah, watch YouTube. You could be a mentor is what you're saying. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. That's funny. Mr. Dillinger, what time does this all kick off on the Hotel of Congress on Saturday? Well, of course, you got the speakeasy Friday night. That's tomorrow night. The speakeasy is pretty much sold out at this point, but it is always a blast. So I would recommend to your listeners, Go get your tickets for the speakeasy next year because it is a blast. But then on Saturday, things kick off with the thrill show reenactment docudrama starting 11 o'clock. Then we do another show at 1.15, I believe, and 3.30. So three shows during the day. You're bound to catch it if you come down at any time. But there are also... You get captured three times in one day? I know. Who'd have thunk it? Well, I... Not good for your street cred, John. <laughs> and you got the Model A Ford Club is here with about 70 restored autos. We actually, the show over its 25 years has helped uh, the Tucson Firefighter Foundation restore the fire truck that was actually at the Hotel Congress fire. Wow, that's cool. So that's there on display. Then you've got music and other entertainment going on. We got a big band. We got some swing going. It is. There's also uh, you can catch a, a tour, a historical tour, uh, which also might be hysterical. I don't know. And you can catch uh, some talks about Tucson. It is just a, a really fun event. And of course, you got great food. I loved your segment on the food, by the way. I was just down here doing one of my second favorite, th- my third favorite thing to do, <laughs> which is uh, eating some Vieria tacos here down at uh, Guadalajara on South Forth. And man, and they they actually locally so- source their meat, so and it's good. Well, we're going to wrap up this segment and say thank you, Mr. Dillinger. Make sure you travel on down to the Hotel Congress this weekend. uh, Go to hotelcongress.com and see the schedule. Come on by. It is a blast. Get there early for a show because the crowds really pack it in. It's quite an event. This is A Fork on the Road. Make sure you never miss a hilariously delicious episode of A Fork on the Road by subscribing at fbpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. Jennifer English is FlavorBank on Twitter and hashtag FlavorBank on Instagram. I'm at Mark DeCarlo on Twitter and at Mark DeCarlo TV on Instagram, where I post all the funny things I see in my travels, including cranky tourists. To fork on the road, I am travel guru Mark DiCarlo with the tasty and talented Jennifer English. Hello. How do you I'm know I'm tasty? Anyone, <laughs> anyone that's won a James Beard Award has got to be tasty. I'm a little saucy, so I'll let you. I'll let you have that one. <laughs> there you go. Life is always better with a little spice. My first email address ever was Mrs. Spices. I was Mrs. Spices on AOL for like thousand years. 
Would you go door to door selling cumin and tamarind to people in your neighborhood? Spicy Tupperware lady? Oh, it's worse than that. Do you really want to get into this? I got you, an hour to you, kill. You, you No, 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 you do not. You know why? Because you know who's here today? This is like the dividend of your Travel Channel mega show, A Fork on the Road. And today we're going to some of the best festivals in the world. Especially in the Southwest, festivals start in February and March, and they carry all the way through October. And uh, I'm a big fan of music and food festivals. And uh, we got two two early ones that we're going to talk about today. I I'm always drawn to people I affectionately call weirdos. That would be me. Kinda, but yeah, the tasty weirdos. Yeah. Right, exactly. You know, people, are, people are not entertaining. Not, I, I prefer to be entertained by people who, you know, who are really into something. I don't even care what it is. If they're passionate about something, whether it's food or travel or rocks, uh, they're going to be fun to talk to. So, for everybody, Mark DiCarlo is an actor and comedian. He is a TV and radio host. He's a voiceover artist. And he has hosted four seasons of the incredibly popular show, Taste of America. And we've got a copy of your book, A Fork on the Road, in front of us, 400 Cities, One Stomach. Do you know what festivals we're taking you to tonight? I'm sure two really good ones. Well, we are going to the incredible Sundance Film Festival with Chef Kim Cantinwala of Honey Salt in Las Vegas, who just finished last night cooking the official director's dinner. This is a director's event where only the filmmakers are invited. It's the official filmmaker dinner. And he and his team from Honey Salt just cooked for the biggest names in film last night. He's joining us today to talk about what he served them, including the most wonderful... Have you ever been to Italy? So you know when you go to the Italian coast and you have frito misto? You know, a I like mixed the sautéed ones with the, with the cherry peppers that you get like in Providence, Rhode Island on the eastern seaboard. They're not fried and uh, they're, they're sautéed in olive oil with some peppers and some onions. It's delish. Okay, I'll give you that. I like, the, I like the Frito as well. Who okay. doesn't like Fritos? Okay, that sounds good. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that's essential for us to talk about are the food events that are the the sort of big picture events. Food is, is an art form just like everything else. Right. People are just beginning to understand that. Yeah. Right. I'm telling you, it's the capital F Fine Arts. And we're going to take you to an event right here in Tucson. It's at, at the uh, Tanca Verde uh, Guest Ranch. Have you ever been out there in all your travels? Have you gone to a lot of dude ranches? Uh, I haven't been to one since sixth grade. And I loved the one we went to in sixth grade. I would love... There's dude ranches in Tucson? Mm-hmm. We're like the land of dude ranches. We're Is like, it like, like, Cali- like California dudes or dude ranches? No, it's not like Spicoli dude. Dude. That Where's my... Pi- Mr. Han took right? my pizza. <laughs> the giant weed bush <laughs> and people sitting around getting high. And t- I think I see horses, man. That's crazy. Yeah, that's... Saddle up, brother. I'm taking you to a dude ranch. (laughs) We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to A Fork on the Road. Make sure you never miss a hilariously delicious episode of A Fork on the Road by subscribing at fbpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. Jennifer English is Flavor Bank on Twitter and hashtag Flavor Bank on Instagram. I'm at Mark DiCarlo on Twitter and at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram, where I post all the funny things I see in my travels, including cranky tourists. So we're talking about festivals today, and we're talking about some of the best festivals in the country, including the Sundance Film Festival, which is going on right now. And another festival that's going on right now, literally this, like tomorrow, it kicks off as a third annual Boots and Brews event at the Tanka Verde Ranch. This is one of the legendary and classic ranches in this region that for decades has been welcoming guests with the kind of warm, sun-kissed, cowboy authentic hospitality. And for this year's event, they've got breweries. They've got cowboy events. They've got Wyatt Earp Texas Hold'em. They've got tap takeovers. They have delicious food. And more than anything else, they are going to give you a taste of the official, authentic, old west 
To talk about it is my good friend Vlad Reznikov from the Tank of Ready Ranch talking about this third annual Boots and Brews event. What exactly is a cowboy event? Are uh, we so, talking like uh, roping and steering and stuff like that? Every Wednesday and uh, Saturday nights we do what, uh, what's called cowboy cookouts. It's basically our huge outdoor picnics that we do for dinner so our restaurant closes down. We do, um, it's basically kind of like something you see on Pinterest. We have these tall trees that are surrounded with lights wrapped around them. We have bar, we have fire pits by all these picnic tents, heaters, just a great act- uh, outdoor environment that you basically think of when you think of Tucson, you think of Arizona, just kind of like we take what you would do in summer and we do it all year round. But uh, this Saturday, it's kind of goes to the extreme really for us. Is there a horseback riding and roping and those kind of rodeo things as well? Is it that kind oh, of at the, at, at the ranch itself, we, we offer it all. I mean, uh, currently we have almost 200 horses on property. We're, you know, we're getting out of a really busy season right now. And uh, we have activities with horseback riding. We have silversmithing workshops. We have, we do yoga. We do um, team penning. So we have a couple of bulls on property even. We do, I mean, horses are kind of our main staple here that we do. We're a very outdoor resort. We don't, we don't want you to be staying in your rooms all day long here. We want you to get out and go have fun and do a lot of stuff that you can't do a lot of other Places. Tucson, is, as most of us know, is a very local environment. We love everything local here. I mean, there's no mistake in it. It sounds like a great time for people to come from outside of Arizona, too, especially, you know, if you're in Chicago or you're in the Northeast where it's 50 below, this would be a great weekend to get away to the desert and really experience uh, what that lifestyle is like. That, that's another thing that I like about the festivals, not only the food and the beer and the, the, uh, the, the activities that you're uh, explaining, Brad, but it's also... It's kind of a concentrated way to get the best out of wherever you are. Right. right? Like so so Mark, here's the thing. The reason I wanted to have Vlad come on and talk about this is because maybe you couldn't get your travel plans pulled together to be here tomorrow. Or maybe you're already here for the gem show. But now we've talked about gem show and now we've talked about this event. And if we haven't whetted your appetite to make plans to come here over the next, you know, eight to ten weeks when this really and truly is the most delicious, warm, hospitable, convivial place on the planet. We've got the PGA Tour coming to town. I, I, I would like to come Come on, Mark. That. I'll put a doghouse together for you. <laughs> would you? <laughs> yeah, sure. I would love that. I love, you know what? For a city slicker, I'm a pretty good horse rideman. Yeah. He, he, I, and, I, I, and I communicate. And because and because you're a funny guy. I mean, this is the thing. He's a dude. He's, horses he, love comedy. <laughs> they, I bet they do actually. I bet horses respond to the energy of comedy and a laugh uh, probably a lot better than they do to like a, a shout or a shot. Mr. Ed loved a good joke. Everyone knows that. <laughs> People listening to us tonight, right now, that come from literally all over the world, that wanted a really authentic experience. What are they going to have on Saturday? So Saturday is our actual third annual Boots and Brews event that's happening. Um, so we have nine local breweries out. Like I said, the, the local market in Tucson is incredible. So just uh, to name them is 1912, Barrio Brewing, Black Rock Brewers, Copper Brothel, Crooked Tooth, Dillinger, Sentinel Peak, Thunder Canyon and Uncle Bears are all Arizona-based breweries, and they're all going to be coming out on Saturday night. Each brewery offering two beers for you to sample all night long on limited refills and dinner in our Cowboy Cookout with an enhanced menu. All the beer you want. There's a certain pour size you have to do, but you're more than welcome to come as many times as you want up to any of the brewers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Book them, Dano, right, Mark? No, the best, the best time to come is in the last 30 minutes of the event, so you can see the rip-roaring cowboy drunk. That's a different kind of parade. That it really is. is. Uh, yeah. You'll be just glad you're wearing your boots. Make sure you never miss a hilariously delicious episode of A Fork on the Road by subscribing at fbpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. Jennifer English is FlavorBank on Twitter and hashtag FlavorBank on Instagram. I'm at Mark DiCarlo on Twitter and at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram, where I post all the funny things I see in my travels, including cranky tourists. Welcome back to Fork on the Road. Martha Carlo and Jennifer English dipping our toe into the culinary pool of deliciousness as we do every week here. We have a great show. We're in the midst of a great show. So if you're joining us now, you blew it. What else <laughs> no, 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 no. You blew it. Oh, hardly. No, no, no. Do you know who's up next? No. 
I have such a like a cook crush on this next guest. Like like real like this guy is he's the epitome of cool. We're that. kicking it up a notch. Chef Kim Cantinwala was recently tapped to be the celebrity chef at one of the American Express Centurion Lounges in Las Vegas McCarran Airport. There are only like four or five right now Centurion Lounges in the in the in the in the world in North America. And they're all over the world. There's like in Hong Kong and other places. But it's like it's for like the super super affluent, it's like super like VIP American Express card holders. And they went to the top of the mountain to get like the secret of extraordinary food of this time and place and moment. Because all of the local chefs that they use in the cities in which there is a Centurion Lounge have a little bit of that local flavor. And in Las Vegas, which is arguably the most extraordinary culinary city in the United States, they picked Chef Kim Cantinwala from Honey Salt to be their their guy. And it's no surprise then that he was also literally just last night the chef who was tapped and asked to cook the main dinner at the Sundance Film Festival for the directors. It was actually the filmmaker dinner was last night and he was the one who did that dinner. That's who's up That's next. What I want to hear All right, about. is that, that too is that am I, am I can you can you can you feel my gushing fangirling Swooning. I can. I can. And that's that's where the Hollywood people really let down their guard when they're eating and drinking. And, and uh, I'm sure he's got some great stories. And if not, I hope he'll consider making some up. <laughs> he doesn't need to. This guy is like such a real deal. He doesn't need to. Kim, welcome to A Fork on the Road. Hi. I love uh, honey salt. Every time I go there, I eat at Carbone's and I eat at honey salt, two diametrically opposed uh culinary visions. I love the whole food to table thing. And I'm so uh, encouraged that it's actually catching on in Las Vegas because in so many ways, Vegas is like the ugly American way the rest of the world sees America, if you know what I mean. And I, I see I that uh, your restaurant is kind of fighting that um, unfair caricature. Does that make sense? Yeah, we actually have a honey salt here in Vancouver as well. So uh, we've taken a bit of the honey salt flavors from Las Vegas and put them into Vancouver using, you know, the the local markets out here and the vast seafood out here. And each each location, I'm guessing, has a different menu, right, because of the different locally available they, foods, or is it they, standardized? We're regional. Uh, we have some things that are signature dishes in both restaurants that uh, started in, in honey salt in Las Vegas. And uh, remain like super signature dishes. Kim and his team from Honey Salt just did the Sundance Film Festival director's That's what dinner. I want to hear about. Kim, how did it go over? How did it go? Honestly, it was uh, it was a huge success. Uh, we were uh, blown away with the feedback and uh, the people who've been coming there for years and years. It was it was really well put together, well received. I was concerned about the tomahawk a little bit and the barracoa pork ribs. They're rich and uh, well, they're delicious. Marbling. When you mentioned the honey salt market board, that was huge, and the vegetable tartare was huge, and gluten free uh, items that were gluten free, like the Biloxi fried chicken. We did that gluten free. Right, and, and everyone's was, on keto here of, in Los Angeles. That all sounds very keto to me. There was a lot of people who were very. You know, health conscious. There was a lot of like, hey, wow, look at this, look at this monster tomahawk. Each tomahawk <laughs> was sixty ounces plus. Wow. Oh. Uh, and you know, with all the sides and the roasted vegetables, so there was a bit of everything for everyone, and uh, we thoroughly enjoyed it. And the weather was fantastic, and it, it was just a, it was a, a great vibe, a great feel. Who was your favorite person? that you met for the first time last night? Actor, director, someone that you've admired and got a chance to talk to? I guess up-and-coming young filmmakers and uh, talk to them a little bit. I wish I had more time to like actually go out and catch a few films and stuff, but we did 18-plus dishes. So yeah. when you get in there preparing this all day and all night, we didn't get to socialize as much as we did. Liked. Kim, congratulations on all your success at the very recent Sundance Film Festival. Thanks for making time to come on with us. Make sure you never miss a hilariously delicious episode of A Fork on the Road. 
by subscribing at fbpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. Jennifer English is FlavorBank on Twitter and hashtag FlavorBank on Instagram. I'm at Mark DiCarlo on Twitter and at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram, where I post all the funny things I see in my travels, including cranky tourists. <laughs> this is a fork on the road with Jennifer English and Mark DiCarlo, a tasty respite from your dreary, tasteless drive home. Can I tell you, I love you because I never, ever, ever know what's going to come out of your mouth and when it's going to happen. You're welcome. That's what I do. <laughs> I op- I, I Literally, I'll start a sentence and I don't know how it's going to finish. It's ex- as exciting for me as it is for you. Do you know who's up next? Yes, I do. Cal is back. Now, have you ever been to Chez Panisse? I have not. Wow. Chez Panisse is one of my all-time favorite places of all time. Chef Cal Peter, now welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, I've been doing radio about food for a long time, and I've interviewed thousands of chefs, and there's this one little thread that keeps connecting some of my all-time favorite guests, and that thread is that most of them have done a stint of some significance and length at Chez Panisse. What do you attribute what it takes to be a success at Chez Panisse? What's the common thread for you guys? Um, I think it's, you know, I, was, I would say passion for, for food and cooking, but I think that exists in, in uh, you know, many restaurants. Um, I think the thing that makes Chez Panisse what it is is that we, um, well, we use it, I like to say we use a dose of an ingredient that's become uh, more and more rare, which is restraint. Uh, which sounds could sound kind of boring, but when you think about like the access that we have to just incredible produce um, and seafood, but really the produce that we have in the Bay Area is kind of um, unparalleled, and it and and so the the idea of like falling in love with the farms and the things that they create, and then passing on those ingredients that we love so much to to our guests without doing, uh, you know, too much to them. We're doing just the right amount to them. Uh, I think that's when people see that and they get it, those are the people who stick around uh, Shake Me's for a long time. And it's also kind of emblematic of the whole ethos of Northern California and Berkeley, that organic kind of granola you know, you started back in the early 70s, 71 or 72, and it's kind of spread. It's funny to see back, I'm sure, when you when it started, you, you hear that, and people in the Midwest would roll their eyes. Oh, it's fruits and nuts. And now uh, it's recognized yeah. as a, uh, you know, a, a, a anchor restaurant that defined a whole movement. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I'm just reading this great book by Jonathan Kaufman called Hippie Food. And... Uh, <laughs> He, you know, really explores, like, the roots of, of those foods. But I was just reading this part last night that talked about how, you know, there wasn't a t- there was a time not that long ago when, like, hummus wasn't a thing that everyone ate. Even yogurt wasn't a thing that everyone right, ate. Right, right. And, and, you know, now it's everywhere. I mean, those two things aren't attributable to Chez Panisse and to Alice. But I feel like probably the spread of farmer's markets and the whole concept of, of being aware of, uh, of where your food came from without being like Portlandia ridiculous about it is, um, is something that, that absolutely came out of, out of shape and still continues to influence the way people eat in this country. Almonds, anchovies, and pancetta, a vegetarian cookbook, kind of. Uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about the thought behind this. This wasn't your first book, so you've gotten a chance to get some of the essentials out of the way, and this had to have been a real passionate labor of love for you. Talk a little bit about how it was born and what it means. Yeah, well... Um, I had always envisioned, I guess, partly in light of what I said before about our access to beautiful ingredients, is that, like, I would open uh, a restaurant that served all vegetables except a couple of meats, and they would be anchovies and pancetta, and I thought that would be the name of the restaurant, anchovies and pancetta, um, which no one really seemed to think was a very good idea <laughs> until... Uh, I talked about it at a, uh, I spoke about it at a talk I did at uh, the 92nd Street Y in New York, and my agent and my editor were there, and their eyes kind of lit up, and afterwards they said, that's the book, let's do the book. Um, and so the idea is that, you know, it, it's not a new way of eating, it's really the way people have eaten all over the world forever, which is with just a little bit of the right kind 
of cured meat to give extra like savor to uh, vegetables, greens, beans, um, grains, and and the right kind of meat or is often cured uh, pork or cured fish um, in all its forms. So in the anchovy chapter, there's also uh, things like fish sauce and bonito and botarga. And in the pancetta chapter, there's also, of course, prosciutto and bacon, and there's lardo. And um, it's that idea that, uh, you know, that I'm not a vegetarian, but I do love to eat a lot of vegetables. But like, you know, a a pot of beans with um, a little chunk of smoked pork in it or, you know, a salad with a little anchovy in the dressing is just a wonderful thing. And and almonds come into that. too, because they're sort of like the meat of the vegetable world. They have a similar fat content, and they can deliver that same kind of uh, little flavor punch. And I love that in your in your book, you've got a recipe for Brussels sprouts with pancetta, which for me, a lot of people, they might stop there, but then you add ginger and cilantro. What's the key to a book like this in terms of really evolutionizing the cuisine that, that you started out with? How have you grown as a chef through the development of recipes for this book? I think by by sort of like having these three chapters that are so focused, each, you know, there's 20 recipes in the almond chapter, 20 in the other two. It's my favorite part of cookbook writing is just like sitting at my desk and dreaming up, like, what are the things I love? And, and going back over my, through my mental Rolodex of food experiences, and um, I find that Food for me is a real mnemonic device and allows me to like access these stories and memories. I love that. Uh, and you're coming yeah, to Tucson I- for the Festival of Books, and you're going to let me take you everywhere and feed you, and maybe we'll even get to cook together. Promise you'll come back on know. and visit with us again. Mark, I'm going to give you yeah. the last word. Have a great time this weekend with Jennifer. Keep her away from the prosciutto. That's <laughs> all I'll tell you. Thanks <laughs> <laughs> for listening to Fork on the Road right here. Thanks for listening. She's Jennifer English at Flavor Bank, and I'm at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram. We'll be back next week with another deep dive into travel, food, and funny. Until then, I'll see you at a fork on the road.